bobbing along in our band. Some of us tip right over the edge. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Cancel Too Soon here on the Real World Network podcast, where myself, Kevin Ford, and the other host, Jerome Cuson, we discuss shows that critics say was canceled too soon, and we might say was canceled too soon. And this month, we are talking about the 2004 Fox show that's like part comedy, part drama called Wonderfalls. Jerome, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We were supposed to review another show, but we watched a few episodes weren't feeling it, so we pivoted to this show instead, which will generate some very interesting conversation, I think. Also, I want to point out, I texted Kevin, a little behind-the-scenes uh, story for you. So I texted Kevin, I was like, I'm going to connect the show to Lost and 9-11, and Kevin asked if I was drunk on a Wednesday night. And Kevin, I will tell you, I was stone-cold silver. And after finishing the show, I have no idea you're going to uh, connect it to 9-11, but I guess I'll find out as we, we discuss the show. I actually forgot that we we started a show and then dropped it. It's been kind of crazy trying to get our schedule together, but I also feel a little bit of shame because Wonderfalls is a show that I watched and really liked, and I've had the DVDs for years. But I want to say it was like – I probably the last time I watched it was I was still in high school. But then when I was kind of looking at shows canceled too soon, this popped up. It was like, oh, duh. How did we not discuss this? And then I turned out that you had never seen it. Uh, so I guess that – our conversation usually starts with this, but what did you know of Wonderfalls, if you knew of anything, before we got into this? I think the only thing I knew is that it was a Brian Fuller special in that it only aired one season, and that is the pattern with Brian Fuller, so that is probably the only thing I knew. I knew no plot points. I knew none of the cast. I I knew almost nothing. I knew that this was another in a long line of Fox shows that were canceled, I believe, that when Family Guy came back, this is one of the shows that was referenced, uh, that was canceled. So, yeah, I also want to point out uh, the timing of this. So Todd Holland is one of the creators, and we recently, Brian and I recently discussed a Todd Holland joint, The Wizard, as part of our Mario Mark Madness. So I've, uh, I've definitely uh, been watching some Todd Holland stuff uh, over, this, uh, over this year. I adore The Wizard as a movie, unironically. It's a nostalgia play for you, right? Oh, yeah. Like, if I if if I had just seen it for the first time at your age, I mean, there probably is something I would have liked it in, like, sort of like a more cheesy, ironic way, especially because I'm a Nintendo kid. Uh, but yes, because I saw it on Nickelodeon as a young boy, uh, that definitely is where a lot of the love comes from. I definitely like the ending a lot. That's all I'll say. It is, yeah, that's people like to joke. It's the first Nintendo Direct, which is like their big announcement series, because that's people literally paid to go see it just see Super Mario three footage, which I'm sure you now know watching the movie and talking to uh, Brian about it. So, yeah, go listen to that elsewhere on enter the real dot com. I first heard about it through my brother, like a lot of these shows. But I want to say that this show got sort of a secondary audience from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy ends in 2003, this show airs in 2004, and Tim Minear is an executive producer on it, uh, who also produced and directed on Angel and Firefly. 
I think there's a lot of people who, well, not a lot, but there was the, there was fans of Buffy who knew that Tim Minear was on that show and was doing this. And they thought it was, you know, it's another female led show, uh, cast wise. It has sort of similar sensibilities of humor. It's a little bit off the beaten path. It deals with what were still at the time, sort of some taboo topics and decided to give it a shot. And I think that's why it got some of the cult audience it did to begin with is because you had some ex Buffy fans who were giving it a shot. There just unfortunately was not enough of them uh, watching on a, on a Friday night. And again, it feels like this is another show that Fox put on a Friday night. They aired episodes out of sequence uh, and they did it in four chunks. They did four episodes in the spring, four in the summer and five in the late fall. So it was almost like a pre streaming service, like episode dump. Uh, but it was like, here, we're going to do four weeks, take some months off. Four in the summer, take some months off. And then five more in the fall. And that just doesn't work the same way uh, at that time. So it feels like it was like, there were so many disadvantages this show had that it didn't even really get, in my opinion, like an earnest chance to even get off the ground. But I think you made a comment to me like that too, about like, yep, just another Friday night show that gets canceled after a season. Well, yeah, I think it's it's really hard to get people to commit to staying home on a Friday night because there's any number of things that they can be doing, going out to a restaurant for for dinner or, you know, going to see the latest movie or like just not being at home on a Friday night because you don't have work the next day. Like it's just it's really hard. And that's why these networks have they haven't given up on Friday nights, but they you you definitely don't get the A programs on a Friday night. CBS kind of has their thing that they do. NBC has Dateline. And those are the shows that kind of work for Friday night because it's a small audience. So airing these shows, I just – I will never understand the logic of Fox putting on these shows. I, and it's funny because basically for the last three years, they've been airing WWE SmackDown, which seems like the – perfect Friday night show because it's two hours. It's relatively key programming and it's going to do a decent rating. So putting SmackDown on is probably one of the more logical things that Fox has done in recent years, putting shows like Firefly and Wonderfalls, uh, not great. And like you said, with the family gag, it became a running joke that just like all these shows would get canceled off Fox so fast. It's, it's still a clip that holds up if you want to go back and watch it. But I even remember being a senior in high school and with the third season of Arrested Development, they just dumped the final four episodes onto a Friday night for people to watch. It was almost like a compliment in a way that they knew like that audience had such a fan base that they would tune in on Fridays and it would do better than most was there. But it was also them just like washing their hands clean and being like, we're done with this show. So they've used their Friday nights in interesting ways. But I, I agree with you that this is probably the smartest use it's been in a very long time. So, yeah, so the show was created by both Todd Holland and Brian Fuller. In addition to directing The Wizard, Holland directed The Larry Sanders Show and Malcolm Middle, which he won Emmys for both shows. Uh, Brian Fuller did a ton of shows like Dead Like Me, Hannibal, American Gods, a fourth show I'm omitting right now because I believe we're going to talk about it in a couple months. Uh, and he also was a writer and executive producer on a few different Star Trek projects, including co-creating Star Trek Discovery. I mentioned Tim Minear as an executive producer. He's sort of the third head in this project. Uh, in addition to Angel and Firefly, he also has been nominated four times for an Emmy due to working on American Horror Story. And this story kind of came about with Todd and Brian being sort of like a mutual admiration society, kind of fans of each other talking about stories they could do. And they sort of settled on this story about if there was a, a, a modern day Joan of Arc, how would God manifest itself? And uh, they were inspired through these actual animal salt and pepper shakers in Todd's kitchen and then 
Holland heard a piece on NPR about Niagara Falls, and that gave them their setting for the show, feeling there's it's it's a natural wonder of the world. Plus, there's like not only this natural mysticism to it, but in a lot of ways, people treat it like it's a mini Vegas. Not so much in the sense of like the excess with drugs and stuff, but like there's like the the chapels and the cheesiness, things like that. And Holland's partner came up with a show name, which took some Fox from getting used to, but it seemed like it was not a, I guess, I don't know what their reputation was at the time, but maybe with Holland having his Malcolm Middle background, they were able to get a show on Fox pretty quickly. But it seemed like the show and the time and everything was, was done. It was just a matter of figuring out the idea and getting it together. So just in general, what did you think of the concept of the show and the setting of the show? Uh, so I have a question for you and then I'll get into it. Were there any comparisons made with this and the show Joan of Arcadia? No. So Joan of Arcadia is a show that aired from September 26, 2003 to April 22nd, 2005. The premise of that show uh, was a teenager named Joan Girardi, as played by Amber Tamblin, who sees and speaks with God and performs tasks she is given. So that's why I asked, because that show feels very similar, if not in principle, then in, in concept, because... She is uh, because our main character here, Jay, is kind of doing something similar. So that's why I asked if the if there were any comparisons made with those shows. And Joan of Arcadia was much more overtly religious, and of course, it's also a CBS drama. It's interesting to me that we have like those. You know, they talk about movies where it's like Armageddon and like Deep Impact at the same time. Like you just have these weird instances where like two separate creators or whoever have the same idea at the same time. And they end up being on television at the same time. Cause yeah, it started in mid Oh four and Joan of Arcadia debuted the previous fall. Uh, but yeah, there was, a, there's a mini documentary on the DVD, but no, no mention of it at all. But I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they were like, Oh crap. When this started airing, cause they were probably already in the midst of filming or finishing filming and doing editing and stuff. When Joan of Arcadia would have hit the screen. Well, and this is where the 9-11 comparison comes in. I feel like after 9-11, you got a glut of pseudo-spiritual, somewhat overtly spiritual or religious shows where characters were either trying to find some sort of redemption for themselves or as a group. So I think you, you got a bunch of these shows. You have the Joan of Arcadia. You've got your Wonderfalls. I would say that Lost also falls into this category as well. I don't think... Lost was overtly religious, but I think a lot of those characters were clearly going for some sort of redemption. And the show that I made the most connection with was My Name is Earl. I feel like this show, in a lot of ways, feels like a a slightly more dramatic version of My Name is Earl because he is also, you know, the concept of that show is uh, Jason Lee's character wins a lot of money and he kind of goes to uh, repair some poor relationships with people. So it just feels like we had a lot of these shows after 9-11 because people were looking for redemption and wanted to feel better about themselves. So I think – and I don't know. Obviously, it is is a response in many ways because, again, I think people were kind of looking for answers and religion maybe would give some people those answers. So I definitely think that's why you got the shows that you did. So there's your 9-11 and Lost connection, Kevin. Well, I think, you know, with the modern day equivalent would be like the pandemic. People just, you know, really getting into Animal Crossing for the Switch as something to spend their time with and find a way to communicate with people. Same with like Among Us. But then you have shows like Tiger King that just so happened to drop at the time and people just wanted something stupid and ridiculous to laugh at. And then something like Ted Lasso that gives them hope. 
So it just like timing and things oh, like yeah. that, I think come from it. So it's, it's all very interesting how that works out. I think what you get is a lot, you've got, you get a lot of anti-capitalism, capitalism, bad shows and movies. As a matter of fact, billions succession, uh, as far as movies goes, the knives out franchise, uh, triangle of sadness. Like we've just gotten a glut of capitalism, bad. I'm sure there's even shows that I'm missing, but I think you that you know these things run into patterns, and you know you do get the sitcoms that people feel good about themselves. Abbott Elementary, Ted Lasso. I think Shrinking is kind of going uh, for that similar vibe, and then you know you've got your super depressing uh, prestige dramas that people still love, like The Last of Us and and all that. So you know it's it's fascinating to see how people respond to different things, and I think in this case, people's response to the pandemic. And even the last few years before the pandemic has been, well, capitalism kind of sucks, doesn't it? And, I mean, this show doesn't really address the capitalism aspect of things, but I think it does deal with a certain frustration of a certain generation. No doubt about it. And I think uh, we're also like the 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 disaffected 20-somethings that like really was roaring in, in the, the mid-90s. And then transformed by the end of the the late '90s, uh, this sort of feels like almost like the the death rattle of that because I feel like that's what um, T- Tim Minear in that documentary says. It's the conceit of her of of the main character getting this power is like it's forcing her to interact with the world around her when she's just somebody who wants to be isolated and just kind of coast, which I think is interesting as a conceit. But like you said, it does sound like there's been. A number of shows sort of similar to that. But I, I will say that I think one of the key reasons this show works for me is because of of Caroline uh, Davernos. It could be Daverna, uh, if it's French, uh, who plays the main character, Jay Tyler. High school graduate, dead-end job at a gift shop, lives in a mobile home just because she wants to be away from her family and be on her own. The way that God speaks to her in this show as, she, as our modern-day Joan of Arc is through – Anything with an animal face that isn't an actual animal, so stuffed animals, miniatures, statues, bookends, things like that. And there's a scene in episode one where she nearly chokes to death and like throws a quarter into this wishing well, and that's when this all happens. And apparently that's, that was a fox choice. They wanted like some event to occur that made it so this happened. They didn't want just the show to start and she had this power. It feels a bit forced in episode one. But either way, this is where it all starts for her, and I think that – Caroline is what makes this entire show work. She's a Canadian actress, so it's like maybe she just has roles that are there. And I think she has like one more full time role near like the end of the 2000s. That also is either I think it's it's either a full or a Holland joint, but she's fantastic. And uh, I'm bummed that we haven't seen her in more uh, bigger things here in the U.S. I think she does a an above average job of taking a role that could very easily be overplayed and I think she plays it about as well as you could play it. And I think that unfortunately for her, I just think, I think what ends up happening is, is you get a lot of actors and actresses who maybe either look similar or are in kind of a similar genre. So it feels like for someone like her, and I am not saying this fair, this is fair because I think women, especially get kind of thrown under this bus because they, oh, you know, she looks like Zoe Dachanel. She looks like Evan Rachel Wood. So they're going to get the roles and maybe she isn't. So that's, that's how, that's what I first saw. I was like, she very much looks like these people. And I think that's, that is unfortunately why she did not 
get the opportunities that those other people did. And also being on a show like this, when you are the lead role, I think that it's also going to do some damage to your career because again, if she is the lead role and people are not watching this show, then I think some people would say that that is an indictment of her, even though I don't think it's her fault, but I think the, the perception might be, Oh, she is, she is not a lead actor. So she cannot, she cannot be the lead in any other TV show. And again, I want to emphasize, I don't think that's fair. Right. But I, but I think you're totally right. I, I mean, how, Go on YouTube and just search for like late night clips of actresses and there's like where they you know they clip out those shows and they talk about like how many people call you by the wrong actress name or how many people compare you to this other person. And some male actors get it too, but you're hundred percent right. It's like why would we cast B when we can cast A? I think that is a hundred percent a real thing that happens in Hollywood constantly, especially if it's based on uh just how they look or their presentation. And I'm sure being in Canada doesn't help either. And I wonder because I look at a lot of these actors who are in Canada from the show and you see like a lot of them will have like a day of work on The Flash, a couple days of work on this other show. And it's I wonder if there's a lot of these actors make full time work taking smaller gigs for all these shows that are coming to Vancouver or wherever else in in Canada that are filming and they can just you get enough gigs to to make to make your ends meet. Yeah, I mean, I would guess and uh, with the DC Arrowverse going away, I wonder how that's going to change. The industry. I'm sure the shows are still going to be shooting in Vancouver, but it's uh, it's it is a changing industry, and this is probably not the time to talk about it. We may get into it at some point, but I think for a show like this, I think you really see the struggle because there are times when I don't know, man. Like there are clearly times when it's like this is this is California. This is not this is not Niagara Falls. <laughs> oh, 100 percent. Because you hear about. How I think it's uh, one of the other actors like there was a lot of these characters who came from Canada to L.A. during like pilot season end up on the show, basically, if they weren't in the U.S. already. But I also think one of the strengths of of uh, the character of Jay is her interactions with everybody, especially her family. And I really like that the show does like two very subtle things to show the differences in her family. The first being that all of the characters in her family are named Sharon, Aaron, Karen and Darren. And then her name is Jay. So she doesn't fit in that way. And then she ha- she's the youngest sibling, and she has a sister and a mother who are both blondes and look like they could be related, and she is a brunette. So they go very much out of their way to do these these secondary things to make it that she is very much the black sheep of the family. Jay is a surprise baby, I would say. That's, that's the impression that I'm getting is maybe they plan to have Aaron and Sharon, and Jay was maybe not expected perhaps. That is a definite possibility. I don't think I ever explicitly say that, but it's 100% a vibe you could get. So Sharon Tyler is her older sister, played by Katie Finneran, and I think her background is more in stage work before she did acting uh, on a television show. Her vocation is that of an immigration lawyer, which comes into play during a few episodes. But I think the most interesting characteristic is that she is a closeted homosexual woman, which is very much not a thing that was very super present on television at the time, maybe starting to get a little more play. There's a lot of topics on this show, like her being a closeted homosexual, uh, some of the indigenous person stuff that it it's – I would say for 2004 is handled as best as it could be. It probably doesn't hold up to the strongest of scrutiny now, but even watching it back, I'm like, OK, this is as probably as delicately and maturely handled in some cases as it would have been at the time compared to a lot of other shows. But I thought the way they played it with her sister was – 
fairly well done, especially in 2004. And I, and I thought she did a, a good job. And uh, you do realize we have talked about Katie Finneran before, correct? I do not. Oh, oh, she's Mrs. Brockmeyer, Kevin Ford. Oh, my goodness. You're right. How did I forget that? So uh, what is up with Katie Finneran playing blondes who have uh, sexual proclivities that are not in the norm? Wow, you've, you've, you've blown my mind here on the <laughs> See, I totally thought you remember you figured that out. I thought this was not going to be a surprise because I immediately saw her and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Brock Meyer's wife. <laughs> no, I did not put that together. And I even looked at her IMDb and I just missed it somehow. But, yes, I think uh, Katie Finneran is very good in this role. I it's again, it's one of those things. I'm very curious to know why. She has not been a regular on more shows because I think she is great here. She was great on Brock Meyer. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get to talk about her uh, on any other shows. But uh, I think she is – I think the character is unfortunately a little bit underdeveloped. But I think she does a great job. I think that's probably the case with everybody in her family because I feel like none of them get a lot of airtime. Like her brother shows up in like episode one for a bit, then he's off like episodes two and three, then very heavily featured in like four and five, so, and then gone so again. I have I have a theory. So this is I'm, I want to get into my casting theory. Is this the time to do it, or should we wait? Well, I'm going to leave that up to you because I don't know what your theory is. Okay, so my theory is that Lee Pace auditioned for the role that Tyron Lotso got. So Tyron Lotso plays Eric Gotts, who is the bartender. My theory, Lee Pace auditioned for that role. They said he was too young, but they they either had the brother or they wrote a brother in so they, they could get him on the show because he very clearly has a star quality. And I think you see that in the show. So they put him in as the brother. The first couple episodes, he's I think he's doing well. And they realize, OK, we have something. So that's why his role gets bigger as the show goes along. And I think it's very evident that Lee Pace is going to be a star based on this performance. I would even argue that in a lot of ways, I think he has better chemistry with Jay than, than Eric does. So it's funny that your theory is incorrect, but it's only incorrect because of the people involved. Because, according to the commentary, Adam Scott was supposed to play Aaron Tyler. They even had him in the pilot with another person we'll talk about later. And then just time commitments, he couldn't do it. So they basically did have someone, and Adam Scott, I guess, wasn't a name at the time, but neither was Lee Pace. But more or less, yes, they had to switch out the original person cast for Aaron Tyler for somebody else. And that ended up being Lee Pace. I think Lee Pace is really good. I just wish they could have discussed, like, pick a haircut and stick with it, please. (laughs) Well, he's actually the next person we're talking about, so this is the perfect time to talk about it. Uh, He has a PhD in comparative religions, but he still lives with his parents. It's very much clearly to me the person who's sort of coasting. He seems like the person who is – you hear about those people who like they get a they get an undergrad, they get a master's, they get a second master's, get a PhD. They're sort of like putting off life by just staying in school forever. That's the vibe I get from Aaron Tyler and his parents are buying it hook, line, and sinker. Obviously having the time with him be having a doctorate in comparative religions and then discovering Jay's, quote, power makes for a very interesting dynamic. And uh, I would like a supercut of how many times Lee Pace says the words cow creamer during the show. It's a lot. Uh, if there was an honest trailer for Wonder Falls, that would undoubtedly be something that was shown a lot. <laughs> for sure. 
but I do want to mention too, because you you mentioned about the bartender, like Lee Pace maybe being the bartender. My understanding is the actor who played the bartender, uh, Eric or er, uh, Tyron Lizzo, like he auditioned and they cast him and he got hired within like three hours because like he was one of the people who drove to L.A. for pilot season and like it was a done deal that quickly. And we'll talk about him in a second. But let's finish out the the family. Uh, we have the mother, Karen Tyler, played by Diana Scarwood. She is an author. She is overbearing and judgmental in the first few episodes, but I feel like she softens quite a bit as the show progresses. She's probably best known for being in Mommy Dearest. You me- you mentioned Lost earlier. She has the dishonorable distinction of being in what is considered to be the worst episode of Lost, Stranger in a Strange Land. I invite you to go listen to the episode of uh, from Broadcast Depth where my myself and Ben Lundy talk about that. But it was one of those things where I was watching this. And I was like, she's so familiar. I know this voice. How do I know this lady? And then I look it up and, oh, but she's great. She does great in this role in the show. I think she does a very good job of playing this role. And I think it's, I think it's a tough one because I think the nagging mom is kind of a trope or a cliche. And I think it could very easily have just been that way. But I think they do a pretty solid job of softening her and, making her more of a character, even though, again, like all the other family members, I think she's a little bit underdeveloped. I think, so I think the my overall feeling on, in terms of characters on the show, it simultaneously feels like there are too many characters, but it also feels like, other than Jay, it feels like none of them are all that well-developed. And I think that's kind of where I come down. And I don't necessarily know how you fix that, but... I don't think it's it's all it's never the performer's fault. I think the Katie Finneran and Lee Pace and Diana Scarwood, I think they do a good job, but it just feels like there are times when, okay, they'll be in an episode or two, but then they'll basically disappear for an episode or two and then they'll come back. And it's just it's a really strange way of doing a TV show, especially one in its first season, when obviously they're still they're they're trying to figure things out, but they also clearly know the writing may be on the wall, so it feels like at times they're just they're throwing they're throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and obviously it's it's tough to have these familial relationships and trying to develop them because clearly they want the family to be important but again they're kind of in and out. I'm curious about the sticking to the wall what sticks and we'll talk about that later if it was a desperation thing or not. I don't know. I don't know how many like shows they had in the can and then film more or whatever. It could be that way with how it was put out on television. I'm not sure. But yes, I think all of those points are very valid. And I actually think the father, Darren Tyler, played by William Sadler, Jay's father, who's a doctor and also like you hear him say right wing things and obviously a GOP but they you don't really get much of that. And they're like, OK, it makes sense. He's an old white guy who's a doctor, so he'd be right wing. But like, why is he so into George Bush that he's reading his book? Why? Is it just taxes or is there something more there? And it doesn't like. That is something that doesn't get developed much at all. I think he's funny in some of the the scenes he has, like especially when he's all drugged up and sees Sharon with her her partner downstairs and doesn't realize it at the time because he's so drugged up. But yeah, it's just like where where is this going? Would it have gone anywhere? I don't I don't really know. Darren Tyler is the type of Republican who would vote for George W. Bush, but then would not vote for Trump, not because he disagrees with him, but because of. The, but because of the way that the, he behaves, he would be a never Trumper Republican supporting the Lincoln Project. That's the kind of Republican that he that he screams to me that he is that type. 
I could see that. Yeah. Like, and it seems like he's very much into the party of the GOP. And yeah. I, and there was a lot of the GOP party that rejected Trump too. I think you're right. It would be like that. I will say though, I did not realize that he was death in Bill and Ted's bogus journey. One of my favorite. What? Right. <laughs> you're, and I think he returns so and face the music as well. Uh, William Sadler is pretty great. Like he is, uh, he's a, he's a that guy. He's definitely been in a million things. He's in a lot of Frank Darabont stuff, like Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile. So he's definitely someone that is prominently featured. But yeah, he's he's the one. He's the the other. There are two names that I recognized from this cast without having watched the show. Obviously, I recognized uh, Katie Finneran once I saw her. But the two people that I knew were Lee Pace and William Sadler. And, uh, yeah, William Sadler is very good. Uh, he, I would say uh, the episode with with him in, getting in the car accident and uh, and that he and Jay having kind of a moment at the end, that is uh, probably one of my favorite episodes. Okay. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, he was all, he also got those uh, those Disney checks playing President Ellis in Iron Man 3 and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So that's good for William Sadler as well. It's uh, it's it's really funny to me just that Agents of Shield. We still can't figure out if it's canon or not. <laughs> the world may never know. The world may never know whether Agents of Shield is canon or not. Probably the best text I got from you during the show was about Alec, aka Mouth Breather, played by Neil Grayston, the assistant manager of the gift shop. What did you tell me? Uh, I don't remember. What did I tell you? I I said I say a lot of things. I forget if you said he had like the most punchable face or so annoying, but you're like, this is something about like they cast the perfect twerp to be in this role, basically. Yeah. Again, we, we talk about casting. We do this almost every episode, I feel like, but it's worth noting, like you have to be so self-confident in yourself to be able to literally play a character called mouth breather who behaves this way, who is a total narc. <laughs> Who he's the type of person that in the anti-work post uh, postings on Reddit they would be all about this guy. And again, when you become an assistant manager, I guess there is kind of this power trip that he experiences. And uh, he is uh, he is detestable, but I think he does it. He does a good job with it. Yeah, he's another one that like after you watch episode one, you're like, oh, he's going to be a pretty big character in this, and then no, not really. No, it's weird. I thought he was going to be among the main cast, and he he really wasn't. And um, clearly, they I, I think they saw I think they thought they were going to spend a lot more time in the store than they ended up doing. I guess. Yeah, that sounds right. Could be. I, I mean, he's 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 pretty much there when they need him to be, uh, but they don't need him that much in the show, as it turns out. <laughs> Nope, they they do not. But at least he got to be the assistant manager at the gift. Yes, that's right. A very prestigious role that Jay lost out on in, in episode one, which kind of leads to her being frustrated and leads to her getting her powers, all that stuff. So at least there's that. Then you also have another character that I felt like when you see him in the first few episodes, you think he's going to be a bigger character and doesn't really until like the end is Dr. Ron, uh, the therapist of the Tyler family, played by Scotch Ellis Loring. Does a lot of voice work. Uh, again, he's sort of a, that guy from smaller roles in the late 90s, early 2000s. Does a lot of ADR voice work today. And I found out, ended up marrying Todd Holland in 2008. So uh, this, the show has a happy ending after all. I do wonder the dynamics of everyone in your family going to the same therapist. I don't think that works. I mean, maybe because it's a small town. Again, I, I've always lived in a big city. 
So I, I wouldn't know this, but it feels like this would be there'd be a major conflict of interest going on here. I don't know. I don't know either, especially because it's like, what did my mom say? It's like, I don't know that a therapist can tell you that. <laughs> or at least they shouldn't tell you that. Uh, it's also good to know that his marriage to Todd Holland or his relationship with Todd Holland is one aspect that was not canceled too soon. That's right. Uh, but he he is very good in the few roles he has, and the plans they had would make him a much bigger character in season two, or at least a very important character in season two. But what we saw of him, he was good. He was he, he definitely seemed like a good a good actor, a good therapist for the family. In some ways, with Tim uh, Maneer, he almost reminded me a little bit of a. Uh, like a younger version of the shepherd in Firefly. I think that's a, that is a very good comparison. It also feels like he is one of the three people, the three black people in this town as well. Jay's basically only friend is a, is a bartender in town named Mahandra. She's played by Tracy Toms. The only thing I really knew her from was from death proof, but she's good. She's a very, she's very good as her friend and obviously like very different from Jay, but also has her own, uh, own problems of, of relationships and things of that nature, but a very fun person for Jay to play off of. Uh, and I really liked her. What did you think? I think she was good. I don't understand why she and Jay are friends though. I wish they had established their friendship more because it always feels like they're in conflict with each other. And I never like, what is the centerpiece of their relationship? I guess that's always the question that was on my mind, especially because you're falling into the trope of having a black best friend which is very, very common on sh- in shows and movies. So that's that's kind of where I came down. Again, I think she does a good job, but I guess I would have liked to have seen like a centerpiece episode that really shows why are these two friends with a capital F. Yes, I think I think that's fair. And I guess just the idea I got because they they have the high school reunion episode and they talk about being friends in high school. I think there are those friends you have, you make them when you're younger, elementary school, whatever, then you grow up and you become two very different people. And if you had met maybe in your 20s or 30s, you wouldn't have been friends. But because you have been friends for so long, you stay friends. And I think that might be the case here. Absolutely. And, you know, I think if they if they if there had been an episode that kind of focused on that, I think I would have absolutely been down. Like, I, I would totally get it. But and again, because it's a small town, like your your friendship options are also limited. So from that perspective, I would have understood it, but I would have liked for that to have been in the text. And then the kind of our final main character is Eric, who is the another bartender at the same bar that Mahandra works at, kind of like the lead bartender, maybe he gets to be the, the manager. He's somebody who came to Niagara Falls for his honeymoon. His wife cheated on him with the bellboy, and he decided to stay in Niagara Falls when she went back home. Uh, and he is Jay's crush. And I kind of like that in the first episode straight up, like they – they don't beat around the bush. As she comes to the bar, he he talks about wanting to do something on the rebound, and we we go from there. And her powers and what they're what the animals are telling her keep them away and keep them from getting closer. But I do like him. I like their dynamic in the show. I think it's a bit of a stretch that in the last episode, what the way she treated him is what got him to call the cops. But in general, I like this relationship, and uh, would have been fun to see where it went in season two. So my first reaction when I saw this actor was, this guy looks like he could be the lead of a Hallmark movie. And what you know, I went to his IMDb and, and he was, what? in fact, <laughs> the lead of a Hallmark movie. That is the vibe that I got from him right from the start. And I think that's one of the reasons that he is able to play this role so well. He is just the type of person that you would want to go to and talk about your problems. And 
Uh, he's, uh, I would say wholesome is the word. Like, the circumstances of his wife cheating on him are not wholesome, but he just comes across like a very, like a very PG-13 type of guy. That's how it comes across. And I think it works for a network drama slash a comedy, dramedy, whatever, however you want to think of this. Yeah, and I think he had uh, you had a regular role in a show called Being Erica, which I never heard of. It was a CBC show that ended in 2011. He's done a couple like TV movies since, but like after 2015, he's just faded away. So I think he just did his couple shows, got got whatever was out of out of his system, and then went to something else. You really wonder, like, if Wonder Falls had taken off as a show, which boy oh boy, that would have been something if this show had gone like four or five seasons, what a miracle it would have been. But you, you you really wonder like how would their careers have changed? Like would would Tyron Letso be in like would he have become a part of the MCU? Or does he does he get more network work out of this? Would uh, Carolyn Devarnas get in more lead roles? Like it's just fascinating the the sliding door scenarios with these shows because it feels like with some of our canceled too soon, it feels like uh, I would think of a show like Firefly. Like I feel like some of those actors benefited from the fact that it was canceled too soon because they could go on and do other things. Whereas in this case, it just feels like everyone except for Lee Pace was just kind of faded away. And you know what? Some of those Firefly uh, actors did go on to do other things like Wonderfalls. That they did. Oh boy. <laughs> we talk about Eric Gotts. His ex-wife was played by Jewel State of Firefly fame, Kaylee and Firefly. Uh, wow. What a character. Uh, I believe the kids would say she is very extra. Is that, is that <laughs> what they would say? Extra, maybe literally insane, not likable. Uh, so she does, she played that role very well. The last four episodes of this show are very, very different from the first nine, I would say, because it feels like the show becomes kind of a soap opera. I think the fact that, we have a character who literally gets amnesia that puts us into soap opera territory. And I don't know again, if they feel like, okay, we, we may have this one season. So we really have to try to resolve uh, the Eric and Jay story in some way. I don't know if that's why, but it feels like the first nine shows are kind of like what you would expect from this with these like one time scenarios begin and begin and tell your, your full story in 45 minutes. And then, the last four episodes essentially become about Jay and Eric. Well, I want to say the character didn't get amnesia. They faked amnesia. Right. They did. But that's also a so that's like a soap opera trope. Well, she did have amnesia for like a little while, I guess, mm -hmm. according to her story. Maybe she was lying then because obviously she is not a trustworthy character. But yeah, that's 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 what it was. Right. That she had amnesia for a little while and then she remembered things. Right. Yes. Sudden. I think so. That's the thing. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> but as I mentioned, and this is mentioned on commentary, there's an alternate version of the first episode, which is unfortunately not a DVD extra, where uh, Adam Scott plays Aaron, Jay's brother, and Carrie Washington plays Mahandra, her best friend and bartender. Both were replaced because they couldn't commit to future episodes. Uh, it's it's a real shame that Carrie Washington and Adam Scott didn't go uh, to do on anything after the show. Yeah, especially Adam Scott, who we will definitely not be talking about next month. No, we will not be talking about him at all. And uh, Carrie Washington, man, she could have, she really could have uh, benefited from being on this show. It really could have jumpstarted her career. 
Uh, it's unfortunate that her career is mired in scandal. I don't get it. <sighs> well, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just – I'm really trying, Kevin, and you're just – the no-selling is strong. <laughs> no, I sold it by lying about saying I didn't get it. <sighs> this is what – this is a – this is what a 14-year podcasting relationship is like, everyone. Has it really been that long? <laughs> At least we're not podcasting about wrestling anymore. That's true. Uh, did you also know that Kerry Washington apparently is a recurring voice on The Simpsons now? Uh, yes, I did, because uh, I guess she is either a new character or she replaced someone, right? Uh, yes, she's Miss Peyton. Kevin, I, I I don't know about you, but if I saw the checks that those actors were getting for playing in The Simpsons, I would want in on, on that, too. A million percent. Uh, I think she might have replaced uh, Miss Krabappel. I see. That 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 makes sense. I, I You know, go ahead. I would say, did the actress who played Edna Krabappel pass away or something? Yes, she did okay. a number of years ago. I believe she died of cancer. I think that was yeah, uh, that's the reason sad. why. I, yeah, I mean, it's. The show's been on so long, like some of these actors are aging out and dying. Like that's that's how crazy it is for for how long that that show's been on the air. Someone told me that sh- that Simpsons was good again. I don't know that I'll watch to to verify that, but I hope that's true. I feel like we need to do an episode. We like need to go to like Reddit or somewhere, find like the best episodes post season twelve, and really give them a watch and be like our. And obviously with the understanding that it won't be comprehensive because I'm not going to sit down and watch 20 seasons of Simpsons episodes. But like picking out the best and really like looking at like does this compare favor- favorably with when the show is at its best? I think that would be an interesting exercise to consider in the future. But right now let's consider these episodes. Yeah, so there's 13 episodes in total. And it, I wrote out kind of like the what happened in all of them. And I can't say there's anyone I'm like, wow, that episode was terrible. But it does very much seem like kind of what you were talking about, like episodes one through seven are very much about Jay and her power to have animals speak to her and exploring all of those. Like you have the high school reunion and the doppelganger one I thought was was excellent. And it goes into very different territories and exploring more about like the town itself and the history of Niagara Falls. And then the back six are very heavy on the Jay and Eric romance. So it does in some ways feel like uh, two different shows in that respect, but I am impressed that they were able to get some of the the extras they did, like uh, like Carrie Preston. She wasn't huge at the time, um, but they also got like Eddie K. Thomas, who was Finch from American Pie, Rue McClanahan of all people as a guest star. That's pretty crazy, and Louise Fletcher from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So yeah, and I also feel like they had way more guest stars in that first part of it too. Any standout episodes or favorites? Uh, episode seven is probably my favorite of all of them. I think uh, they use the the performers really well, both Rue McLennan and Louise Fletcher. I feel like that that is the strongest episode. I feel like there are some very fun twists and turns with the with the characters. Like you think Rue McLennan is the one that did the barrel jump, but she really didn't. It was this other person, and just all the dynamics and the payoff like that I think was the the strongest idea to me that it was the the platonic ideal of the show is episode seven in terms of the tone in terms of the quality of the guest stars the way that they're able to use the the twists and the turns and the fact that Jay really is helping other people and so much of the focus is not on herself yeah 
to me, episode seven is the one where this show, it really feels like that was its strength. Even episode eight, to an extent, was like that. And I wish that more of the episodes had been like seven and eight. I do think those are both very good. I think the doppelganger one is probably an early favorite. You know what's interesting is I had this horrible feeling like episode one I didn't think was very good, which I think was probably the writing on the wall for the show, quite truthfully. I think episode one one is a borderline disaster. Here's the thing that I think is, is a major issue. I almost feel like this show would be better if it was a half hour, like, premium cable show, like if it was a straight like 30 to 35 minutes, or if it was like a 20 minute animated network show, I feel like the show would have been better off like that. But unfortunately it's not. So, and I think the pilot is representative of that because these episodes being 44 minutes, it's, it's, it is a very tough ask, I think because of the tonal, the tonal things. Yeah. There are times where I checked on my, there, I checked an episode. I'm like, geez, we're only like 26 minutes in. It's like, okay. There was never anything – again, I didn't think any sub was bad, but there was definitely somewhere I'm like, this could have 100 percent been truncated. But I remember after watching episode one, I was like, oh, no, did I did I send Jerome down a bad path? Are we going to go this? But then I watched episode two and three, and I was like, never mind. I feel better about this. How about a six-and-a-half-year high school reunion, by the way? I – you could not get me to go to a high school reunion at gunpoint, I don't think. No. But I do like at the end, it's very much like, oh, yeah, this this girl obviously is someone who feels like she peaked in high school and sped this up to to feel something again. I did like that dynamic. But I thought the doppelganger one was one of my favorites. I thought the Lovebirds episode was maybe one of my favorites because I really liked just the honest conversations about relationships and stuff. And even like having uh, Lee Pace and Mahandra hook up. There's something to that, too, that I found very interesting, that dynamic. And kind I of came did. out of nowhere, but I just want to point out, you buried the lead about episode two. Oh my gosh, I did. Okay, so I watched episode two before you did. <laughs> you did. And I was blown away. Because again, I hadn't seen this show in a very long time. And I was like, Jerome, there's a music drop in episode two that you need to pay attention to. You can't miss it. And I think you texted me holy shit when you heard it. I did. I specifically responded to the tweet or the text from like that you had sent two days ago because I really wanted you to know that that was the moment that I'd seen. So uh, I will let you explain what that needle drop was. And it's very interesting to me that this airs before this other show. So I'm watching it. Episode two happens. And in the background of I want to say this is maybe at the the suite in the hotel that they're hanging out at before going to the bar for the, the high school reunion. Uh, they're playing We Used to Be Friends by, I think it's the Dandy Warhols. And I'm like, this is the effing Veronica Mars theme that we are hearing right now. And I thought that was it. And then we get to the party and it's playing again. One, it's very fitting. We Used to Be Friends for a high school reunion is a very funny song to play. But the fact that it is so ubiquitous as the theme song, Veronica Mars, a show we have covered in full, uh, blew my mind. I had no memory of it being in the show whatsoever. I was very surprised I because I can't imagine like what other show has featured the theme song of, of, a, of a more prominent show. I, I just it was a profoundly strange experience and kind of made me want to watch Veronica Mars again. <laughs> yeah, dude, Which, there's so I many mean, of these shows where I'm like, oh, man, I would love to watch. Halt and Catch Fire again, or Brock Meyer again, or whatever. Yeah, this uh, that that episode was definitely giving me those uh, those vibes. But yeah, a profoundly strange 
situation. What a journey we've been on, I guess. But, but yeah, so I, I said three and nine or two I like, but I actually think I may like episode 11, Cocktail Bunny, the best because it's sort of like a, a more like over-the-top cartoony, like not even a whodunit, but it's where Jay thinks that Eric's ex-wife is trying to kill him and it ends up a therapist, uh, one of his patients, that's the word, is trying to kill him. Um, and that's sort of the fun with the episode is all of these clues that Jay's getting are very vague, you know, pronoun heavy, things like that. So it's a lot of like she thinks she's apply they're applying it to one situation, but really it's another that she doesn't know. And I like that, like, this is the episode where, like, the therapist kind of understands Jay and thinks she might have something there. So, yes, I that's maybe my thing. I, I would say that's probably my favorite episode of the show is, is that episode. I didn't think it'd be your favorite, but I'm like, this feels like a Jerome episode because it's it's not a whodunit necessarily, but it has sort of that that feel to it. Yeah, I I definitely appreciated the direction they went in in episode 11, just in terms of doing uh, kind of this big fake out. And on paper, I think the role is bad, but I think Jewel State does a really good job of playing it. And obviously also a very different character from Firefly, if you think about who she was on Firefly. So it was nice to see her in, in something very, very different. But, man, how how would you like to be Jewel State and just being buried on these Friday night Fox shows? Like, it happens with Firefly, then you're on this show. And, and maybe by this point the writing was on the wall, but, man, that's got to be very, very frustrating. Well, and it's – I was thinking of the same thing when you said, you know – you know, Jane uh, Davernos being on the show might have been an issue because, like, oh, the show failed. She's the face of the show, fair or not. You mentioned in Jewel State, and I think about – I wonder how someone like Summer Glau feels because it's probably sort of a similar situation with her with Jane Davernos. Yeah. You know, the, joke, mean, was, the, the joke was that if Summer Glau's on your show, it's going to get canceled, and I'm sure she's like, great. I love being known for that. Yeah, because it was also – it wasn't just Firefly. It was also Sarah Connor Chronicles as well. So not the greatest reputation to have in fair or unfair, mostly unfair, I would say. This show did get canceled too soon, and they said that even after episode one, they basically went to save our show mode, trying to rally support online and things like that. Because even with low expectations of what a Friday night new show is supposed to do, it still didn't get the ratings as high as they were hoping for and ultimately gets canceled, doesn't get a second season, and this is what we're left with. Yeah, so why don't you describe a little bit about how the show ends? Because they do manage to tell a complete story at the very least. Yeah, and I think, you know, the the, the way the episode ends is they have this uh, – it's almost like a bottle episode. It's not, but it sort of is with them. There's a hostage situation. And I just want to point out the, the bottle the episode – has been raging on because people don't know what a bottle a bottle episode has to take place in one location only for the oh, entirety okay. of the episode yes got it so it's definitely not a bottle episode but it definitely feels like the good majority of it is in here uh is in the um the gift shop which also is name is that's where the show name comes from wonder falls is the name of the gift shop that jay works at Jay basically is talked into calling Eric and wanting to meet him in person to say goodbye, but also finally confess her feelings. All these animals this whole time have basically told her not to, but the pain is too much for her to leave things on those terms. So she calls him, says to meet her at her mobile home, and then the hostage situation happens. So she doesn't meet up, but Eric comes to the store and Jay is forced to shoo him away, and she says some some mean, harsh things to get him to go away, but he kind of puts it together 
calls in the hostage situation. Uh, they end up where uh, Jay helps the hostage person escape, but as they're escaping, uh, Eric's ex-wife uh, runs into them, and then the guy gets out of the car and gets hit by an ambulance, and ultimately the ex-wife, knowing how Eric feels about Jay after talking to Mahandra at the bar, decides that she's going to end things. So she goes back home to the States. Eric stays in Canada, sees her at the gift shop, and basically says that he's single and maybe they can start something. So there's a hopeful ending for for Jay and Eric. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good way of describing it. And again, I am glad that at least we did not end on a cliffhanger. I think that, that was that's always the concern with these. And when we get into some when we get into some of the other canceled too soon's that may become an issue. But I'm glad yeah. that we had a, a resolution. Yeah, and it was an issue for Veronica Mars in season three, and then you know you got the movie in the fourth season, but still. The thing about shows that are canceled too soon, even if I feel that there are shows that are canceled too soon, if I can like feel like the ending is going to be positive, like with togetherness, I can live with it. And I think for me, I can live with the show being 13 episodes. Do I think it was canceled too soon? I'd say I'd say yes, but I'm satisfied with where it ended. And I think that there's there's a there's a lot more you could have explored with her powers and the and a lot more to do with the cast intermingling. You could have expounded upon and built onto the foundation they built. But I but I watched this thirteen episode series and I'm I'm happy with what we got. What did you think? Um, I don't know. I think I was very up and down on this show. I think there are moments of greatness. I think there's some really interesting ideas. I don't know that I would want to watch a second season unless they really kind of figured out like what it what an episode looks like and just figured out the tone better. And again, I think episodes seven and eight kind of hinted at a really good tone. So I think this is a show that had potential. It is a profoundly strange show at times, just with the with the talking uh, non-animals. And again, I think there's again there's some really interesting ideas. Would I say it was canceled too soon? I would say no. But I also again, this is probably the weirdest show that we've watched, just in terms of my feelings on it, because there are aspects of the show that I really did appreciate and like. And I never disliked the show while I was watching it. I mean, I literally could sit down and watch like five or six episodes in a row. So that clearly means that I didn't hate the show. But I also think that the fact that they got into desperation mode so quickly meant that the show could never really settle down into being something uh, that that felt, felt fully developed. And again, I think they were experimenting with the different characters. There were a lot of characters on the show. And I also think that's part of what hurt it as well. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunately a Brian Fuller special. And uh, we will be talking more about Brian Fuller in a couple of months. Uh, I don't know if we could ever discuss Hannibal because you want to talk about a weird show. Hannibal is profoundly bizarre. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that show. Uh, but is the show we're going to be talking about in May, do you see similarities between Wonderfalls and that show? I, I do see a lot of similarities, and I think the show that we are talking about in May uh, is – I think it is a much better show. I think it comes out more fully formed. I also think you have a director who really knows what he's doing with the visuals, like uh, the creation of like – it's a, I'm going to say Tim Burton-esque even though – you could take that as an insult or a compliment. I mean it as a compliment in this case. So I just think that show comes out more fully formed and maybe it had a higher budget too. 
And uh, I just like that show more. And uh, also more of Lee Pace and not a bad thing either. Not at all. Now that we've talked Wonderfalls and we talk a show in May, that'll be all three shows where Lee Pace is a, a regular character that we'll have discussed. Yeah, it's uh, and uh, you know Brian and I have talked about his uh, his MC run. I just hindsight is twenty twenty, of course, but I cannot believe what the MC do, MCU did with Lee Pace. Like, how do you watch Wonderfalls? How do you watch Halt and Catch Fire? How do you watch Pushing Daisies? And you're not just like, you know what? We're going to put Lee Pace in this role, and we're just going to let him be charismatic. I will, I will <laughs> never understand that to my dying day, why they put Lee, Lee Pace under all that makeup. It's so dumb. So if you were to talk to some of the MCU about this, you would start by asking them a question. <laughs> How dare you? What gives you the right? Well, I will say this, that one of the reasons I would want to see more Wonderfalls is they – they had some ideas for the future seasons, which I also think might be a problem with season one is that like their eyes were bigger than their stomach. Like you're already thinking about stuff for the next season when your first season has even successfully aired. Two things I would have really wanted to see was that Aaron would have began to regard Jay as a spiritual leader. And there also was going plans to have a new fully intact wax lion advising Jay against listening to the original wax lion and I think both of those would have been very funny to watch. But the one thing that I was like, whoa, this sounds really interesting, is her therapist was going to publish a book on Jay. And then she would have eventually, because of that book, been institutionalized with Joan of Arc syndrome. And then in the institution will begin to affect the lives of the residents there. And one of them would have been uh, Spencer Breslin's little kid from the Mail Order Bride episode, uh, brother of Abigail Breslin. And I'm like, okay, that sounds very interesting. And that's what that's what when I was saying that Dr. Ron sounds like he had had a bigger role, him sort of using Jay as like his his uh, case study to become an author and and all that stuff. Very interesting stuff with those characters, I would have found. Yeah, uh, Spencer Breslin coming back as a pyromaniac. uh, That would have been very, very fun, I would say. Kind of interesting how he's another one of those cases where, like, he he started off as, like, a child actor doing, like, The Kid and a bunch of other stuff, and then his younger sister comes in and he sort of disappears. Isn't that the same with Haley Joel? I mean, I know Haley Joel Osment has been in things, but isn't that kind of the same thing for him? Like, his sister, as it turns out, had the bigger career? Who's his sister? Emily Osment. So I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, that's our Wonderfalls episode. Any any other final thoughts you have? I am very glad to have seen this because I'm always very curious to see what Brian Fuller is doing. I think he has he has certainly explored a number of different genres. He has also unfortunately never had a a really sustained amount of success. Yet he is able to continue to to find work and uh, to you know be a part of the Star Trek franchise, which is a really big deal for, for Paramount to keep that going. And I, I again, I, Kevin will never watch Hannibal with me, <laughs> but uh, at some point I would, I would love to, to talk about Hannibal. I just, I cannot believe that that show aired on network TV. Uh, and it's, it's, it's absolutely insane to me that that, that, that was a thing uh, that happened, but yeah, Wonderfalls is uh, is a is a fascinating little experiment, and again, you just wonder if Fox really had the courage of its convictions to not just greenlight these shows, but to really put some energy into promoting them, giving them better time slots. Like, what would the Fox Network look like if it had found su- sustained success with a show like this, or even with Arrested Development, or with a Firefly? 
the world may never know. What I would also like to know is what a Star Trek universe where Brian Fuller is still there, but Alex Kurtzman isn't would look like. I would I would wager to say a much better one. Probably, even though I will say the the Star Trek that aired uh, last year, I think is probably some of the best stuff they've ever done. Strange New Worlds? Yeah, Strange New Worlds is fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I've heard Picard is not. Yeah, I've heard Picard is not great, and I can't say I'm surprised because, again, the key with Star Trek, Star Trek is at its best when it is telling stories in the 45-minute slot. Like, that is when it's being episodic and not, like, trying to tell a sustained story over the period of, you know, 13 episodes or 10 episodes or whatever. But that is that is a, a general problem with TV these days. Mm-hmm. And it's better as a science fiction show than an action show. Yep. I, I definitely think that is true. But you could thank J.J. Abrams for ruining, ruining that. Uh, I will not. Um, but I, and next month we're going to be talking about a 2023 show. How is that possible? How is that possible, Kevin? Uh, you, you explain to the people how this is possible because I've watched the first couple of episodes and I'm not going to say anything about them because Kevin is kind of waiting until they're all up. I have thoroughly enjoyed the first two episodes of the rebooted party down. Right. So we obviously did the first two seasons of the original Party Down here as a podcast on Cancel Do Soon not that long ago. And Stars has brought it back. So we're going to take a look and kind of do, I don't know what you would call it, a, an, an epilogue, a denouement of this newest season of Party Down. See how it compares to the original. I guess it, it isn't canceled yet. I don't know if there's only going to be one season or not, but we're going to take a look at the, the newest season of, of Party Down next month in April. So it'll be canceled too soon. Hey, maybe not. Yes, a canceled too soon epilogue of sorts. So tune into that next month. Go back in the archives and listen to all of our other shows we've done. We've talked about a lot of stuff. Everything Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Veronica Mars, Halt and Catch Fire, Brockmire, and a bunch of other shows that have been canceled too soon. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at KFord13 and read a bunch of my reviews about pro wrestling at KevinEshford.com. Jerome. Uh, what else do you have here on Enter the Real World that people can uh, You can go to Pantheon Plus, and you can listen to uh, Brian and I. In January and February, we went over some underrated sequels. In March, we did Super Mario March Madness. Uh, we reviewed a Mario anime from 1986, Kevin. Can you believe it? Yes, you guys review a ton of stuff. I, I, I believe everything you review. Uh, we reviewed a couple episodes of their TV show, uh, the horrific 1993 Mario movie that I can't understand why I got made, plus uh, The Wizard, which is a Kevin Ford favorite. Uh, April is uh, Michelle Yeoh. We reviewed four Michelle Yeoh Hong Kong releases, so that's exciting. Uh, in May, we're going to be doing uh, the Imp Man series with Donnie Yen. And uh, then we're going to be uh, going – we're still thinking about what we're going to be talking about in the summer. I believe uh, Harrison Ford month is uh, on the table, so uh, you could be looking forward to that. But yes, uh, you could also follow me on Twitter at Jerome C. Uh, 1985, I do not review wrestling anymore. So that's that's a thing. That's good, right? Maybe? Yes? Oh, God. Way smarter than, than my stupid ass. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Take us home. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Cancel Assume. We'll be back next month to talk to you about Party Down Season 3. Uh, so, Kevin, if there was an inanimate object that spoke to you, would it be your laptop telling you to stop reviewing wrestling? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>